take our Bible, Psalm chapter 133, verse 1. Psalm 133, verse 1 today. We're continuing in our study, The Art of Others. We're going to pick up with techniques. And uh, we were talking last week and discussing confrontation. Uh, One of the techniques is confrontation. And we talked about a couple of different people or who to confront. Who to confront. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But what we know for sure is that relationships are extremely important in our lives. God has put a premium on relationships. As a matter of fact, uh, the relationship that we have with Him is paramount. It is first. It is foremost. It's so awfully important that we maintain, or that we, should I say, begin one and then maintain a good relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, we realize that Relationships are an art, and Webster defines an art as skill, dexterity, or the power of performing certain actions acquired by experience, study, or observation. And we noted that Jesus Christ is the best example that any one of us could possibly look to. And we began to look at some things. We dealt with the art of others for the last three or four weeks, and we're now moving into this area. We began discussing some of these particular techniques or some of the things uh, that we're going to need along the way. And one of them was confrontation. And we said, now who are we to confront? Who are we to confront? And we said the depraved. We're talking about those that deliberately sin against God. And again, understand, we're not talking about being ill-willed or being nasty or being uh, disrespectful. We're talking about addressing issues in the Christian life, addressing issues in our home lives, our families, our relationships. We noted that sometimes we just have to face problems. We just have to address situations. We just have to deal with it. And too many times, if we're not careful, we're kind of like the, uh, the proverbial ostrich with our head in the sand. And we just kind of hope that all the problems just kind of go away on their own. But they don't, do they? Problems don't just seem to go away. Even if we do, they don't. And so confrontation is such an important aspect to very stable, sturdy, and satisfying relationships. And that's what we want, really. We want those kind of relationships that will yield a positive result or that will give a positive yield I mean, I want my relationships to be those that ultimately make me more satisfied, fulfilled, and even better. And so we need the kind of relationships that will honor Christ. And those kind of relationships take work and they take effort. And boy, you've got to put yourself out there sometimes if you really want that strong, stable, and satisfying relationship. Confronting, unfortunately, is one of those musts. And it's not easy. It's very difficult. And last week, of course, we talked about, first of all, the depraved and how we're to address them. We talked about whether it be our our children or family members or friends and loved ones who are playing Russian roulette with their present lives and future happiness. We then began to discuss and we talked about the disillusioned. The disillusioned. And that particular person were those whose eyes are blinded to the truth and see things from the wrong perspective. They don't necessarily do it uh, willfully, They're not necessarily just bad or they're just bent on doing wrong. No, they, they really are genuinely deceived. They can't see the truth. They, they somehow see things from behind a veil. And everything seems rosy and everything seems good sometimes. They don't even think or feel they're doing anything wrong. And so we talked about those and kind of the situation there. And we said that that, again, may be a child with an unrealistic expectation or goal. It's people who fail to see the dangers of their present path or the direction that they're headed. And they may not in any way be even remotely concerned about it, but we, from our experience and maybe from our biblical understanding, say, wow, don't you realize the direction you're going? It's going to lead you nowhere good. And boy, I'll tell you what, it's not always easy to confront those issues But they're absolutely necessary in the long run. Now, we want to move on to the third one. And we want to talk a little bit more and continue in this study. Who are we to confront? Who are we? Now, next week, we're going to talk about how to confront people. Give you some ideas how to deal with that. It's not easy, but, you know, there's some attitudes. There's some prerequisites in our own lives that help us to properly deal with people and do it in a way that honors the Lord and doesn't just 
blow everything up all the time. And the goal is not to blow things up, obviously. The goal is to ultimately gain a friend, win a soul, um, get somebody in an, on our team, so to speak, again. We don't want bad relationships. We want strong, stable, and ultimately satisfying ones. So tonight, today, this morning, I want to begin with the next who. Well, we're going to talk about the deceitful. We need to confront the deceitful next. And then we'll have one other one we'll look at this morning. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. Lord, thank you again for this time together. Lord, for these that have gathered. Lord, what a wonderful crowd that's assembled today. We're so thrilled and so glad to have them here. Lord, you know my heart, and I just want to be a blessing to your people. And I want to be a blessing to all that have gathered here. And Father, it's not my desire to hurt or harm anyone. It's my goal to be a blessing. And Father, I'm asking you to put your words in my mouth. May I say those things which will please you, but not only say the things that will please you, but to say them in the way that will please you. Lord, uh, you certainly didn't come to earth to try to necessarily, I guess, gain enemies, although there was a part of your message that was certainly going to cause that problem. But, Father, there's no doubt that, Lord, your desire was to draw men unto you. Lord, our goal is to draw men and women unto you even now. So, Lord, the, the goal of this message is not to cause people to leave upset. The goal is to cause people to leave wanting to draw nigh. Lord, it's about relationships. And we want our marriages, and we want our children's and our families and our homes. We want our relationships to be those kind, Lord, that are ultimately very strong, stable, and satisfying. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Now, we're talking about the disillusioned. And again, I guess this would be more maybe a teaching type situation, but I, I want to just maybe share, again, the, the who. Who are the kind of people or the situations where we need to confront things? Well, the disillusioned. We're talking about those whose eyes are blinded to the truth. Oh, excuse me, I'm the disillusioned. That's, we talked about that last week. I'd get pretty good at that one, by, by the way. The deceitful. Let's try that. Okay, whoever's running the system, cut everything out that I just said the last few minutes so I don't sound so forgetful like I was during the song. And I also now just remembered the announcement that I wanted to make. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I have an amazing mind like that. Maybe you have one just like it. I don't know. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Yes. All right, yes. And you're probably over the age of 25 like I am. But nonetheless, tonight we have our communion. I just want to remind you of that. Tonight's communion. That's what I want to remind you of. Now that I've got that off of my mind and off my chest, I think that I'll be able to focus now on the message. All right. The deceitful. Let's begin with that. Uh, let's start with the deceitful. We're talking about those that deliberately or even unintentionally lead others astray. Again, just because someone's leading someone astray doesn't necessarily mean that the person leading them astray is even aware of that. They may not be aware of it. And if we're not careful, we may assume that's always the case, but that's not always the case. But either way, when there's someone or uh, even something that's leading others astray, that's a real opportunity or should I say often a very great need to confront. Because when others are involved and it's going to hurt and harm others, it's important that we do our best, who do know the difference, to try to curb the potential consequences. The deceitful, those that deliberately or unintentionally lead others astray. By way of example, turn if you would to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 13. I want to show you, I want to show you somebody that deliberately led someone astray. 2 Samuel chapter 13. It's in the, toward the front of your Bible somewhere there. 2 Samuel chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> You're going to see a deceiver here for sure. And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. Well, I'm glad for that. Nonetheless, this is his stepsister, okay? 
stepsister. Now, number, we go to verse number 2. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. It means it was his cousin as well. Not only was it his friend, it was his cousin. And he said unto him, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed and make thyself sick. Well, you can't make yourself sick, but you can certainly appear to be sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat and dress the meat in my sight that I may see it and eat it at her hand. The Bible simply says here that Amnon had a friend. Jonadab was that friend and Upon hearing the news that Tamar was heavy on his heart, he says, wait, you're the king's son. How, why in the world would you withhold anything from yourself? You deserve the best. You deserve what you want. There's no reason for you to wait or to have to put off anything. There's no reason why you should deny yourself. Hey, listen, you're just a man, aren't you? And she's a woman. It's only natural. I'll tell you what you do. Why don't you just go over there and pretend to be sick, and when your daddy comes along, say, Daddy, Daddy, I feel sick. Can you have Tamar come home and make me something to eat? And he did just that. A friend. Wow, what kind of advice was that? And so nonetheless, he's there at the hand of Tamar receiving food and nourishment and substance. And finally, he, he tells all the men to get out of the house and to bring the food back to his chamber. And there he takes what he wants. I want you to know that Jonadab did nothing but lead Amnon to the slaughter. In the wake of this sick and twisted advice, a mass of brokenness and ruin would lay. Tamar, his half-sister, would end up abused and defiled, the family name tarnished, the reputation of his father and kingdom tainted, and ultimately Amnon would lay dead. Can I be so bold to say, praise the Lord, he's dead? Can I be that bold? I'm a little, I didn't mean to talk about this today. But I'm going to tell you something. Any man that forces himself on a woman and you know without a doubt it was him, he ought to. That would put a little bit of dent in the problem. There certainly wouldn't be any repeats. You may not like that. But I just think that we used to have a little better world before we got a little tolerant of that kind of person in our culture. I guess i got to move on. We saw a friend. Boy, we use that word loosely today, don't we? Well, when you start talking about relationships, you be real careful with that word. Don't you trust someone just because they show up in your life. You make them earn that trust before you call them a friend. Well, Amnon had a friend, and it was even his cousin, and yet, look what happened. He was led astray. I want you to understand that later on down the line, no one, no one must have dealt with this man, Abinadad. Abinadab, he, he, he was still standing before David, giving... Uh, advice or talking to him about uh, ultimately the, the battle that would ultimately take place later down the road. Oh no, your sons are still alive. Oh no, everything's alright, David. Hey, why in the world was Abinadab even in the presence of David? 
If after you did that to my son, we'd have a real problem. But see, when you don't confront problems, you only magnify them. Not only do we see that situation, but I want you to realize also that in Israel, as we move on, no one was responsible for the direction of Israel any more than the religious leaders of their day. The scribes, the Pharisees, they possessed a tremendous amount of power among the people and even in their own government. Sadly, they were unwilling to point people toward the true light, which was Jesus Christ. They denied His existence as as God in flesh. They simply looked at Him as some kind of false teacher and they sought to direct people and lead people away from the Master. I'm confident that some were genuinely blinded. However, I am convinced also that there were others who knew the truth but chose to willfully deceive them. They were such deceivers, they were so deceptive that Jesus Christ Himself felt the need to level a scathing accusation toward them. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 27 through 28, He speaks to their, the, the, the root of their issues, their real heart, the hypocrisy that lived within them. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within de- full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness, even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisies and iniquity. It doesn't matter how he said it that day. I'm sure that felt good. Not for him. I can only imagine how these scribes and Pharisees felt. I don't think Jesus took, ever took pleasure in pointing out problems. I don't think Jesus ever took pleasure in trying to tell a man or a woman that they were living in sin or that they were doing something wrong or that their heart wasn't right. I don't think He ever took pleasure in that. I don't think He ever was like the teacher that kind of bared down with a red pen. Yeah, I'll show him that lazy good-for-nothing F. Oh, that wasn't His attitude. He never enjoyed giving Fs in personal character. Or problems. But he did feel the need to confront their hypocrisy. And unfortunately, there are times in our lives when there'll be friends or family members or others that we'll see a root of that hypocrisy, we'll see that deceptive spirit, or we'll see them encouraging people to go down the wrong path. And we must, for Christ's sake, and for the sake of all others involved, address and confront that situation, even maybe that person face-to-face, which is normally the best way to do it. These leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, would ultimately lead a nation astray, not unlike certain sources of the media today, Hollywood, advertising, false religion, erroneous education, We have those deceivers in our culture as well. How can we remain silent as believers when we know the truth? I mean, Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4 and 5. Turn there if you would, please. This verse at one point changed my life. And and maybe I'll share with you how it did. And it's not a real big deal to some of you, but it was very liberating for me. Proverbs 26, verse 4 through 5. Can we really afford to remain silent when we consider Scripture today? Notice what it says. 26, verse 4. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly lest he be wise in his own conceit. Can I sum it all up by saying, when we do not confront foolishness, we become part of the problem instead of the solution. Or can I say it this way concerning verse 5, since silence in the presence of sinfulness only strengthens the sinner's stance. 
Let me say that again. Silence in the presence of sinfulness only strengthens the sinner's stance. A number of years ago, I would speak to a people about things like marriage and so forth. And even just sometimes around the church, somebody would say, say something to me like, you know how, you know, you know uh, my wife is this, or my wife is that, and my wife does this, and my wife, you know what I'm talking about. And I would say, out of kindness, things like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know how, yeah. Kind of like blow it off. And I got to reading the Bible and I got convicted about that. And I realized that what I was doing really was agreeing with a fool in his folly. I was only helping him to be wise in his own misjudgment or misguidance. He's looking at a situation thinking that, yes, see, everybody's got that problem. So I'm not the only... And yes, you have a problem. And tell, I'm telling you now, it's not like that everywhere. I'm not trying to be haughty. and I'm not trying to be prideful or arrogant. I'm not trying to set myself above anyone. But how can, I be, how can, how can anyone expect me to lie? God certainly doesn't want me to. Wouldn't it be sad if today I, uh, you came to me and said, you know, my wife, she's a real bruiser. She hits me over the head with pans and she gets mad and pushes me down the steps when I don't do what she tells me. And, and she gets upset and she'll cuss me in front of the kids. And, you know, she just loses her temper and she gets upset sometimes. You know what I mean. And I went, yeah. What did I just say that my wife does? I just told you that my wife's just like yours. So who am I to even help you now? And secondly, all I've done is reinforced your position of negativity and of helplessness and hopelessness. I'm going to tell you something. I learned a long time ago from this passage that when someone says, you know how it is, I go, no, not really. Unless I do know how it is. I'm not going to lie about that either. But I'm not going to agree with a fool in his folly. And, and I'm not going to answer a fool according to his folly. I'm going to answer him according to his folly. It doesn't have to be that way. Silence in the presence of sinfulness only strengthens the sinner's stance. Only in confronting the wrongdoing can we truly honor God and His righteousness. Hey, I'm not talking about being nasty. We'll talk about how to do this next week. I'm not talking about being nasty. I'm not talking about being... Hold on, let me stand on a platform and talk to you now. That's not what I'm talking about. By being silent, believers are only reinforcing the blasphemous direction of our country, that our country is going morally and ethically, I believe, as well today. I believe we as believers are, are reinforcing the blasphemous direction that our country is going morally and ethically. Hey, we have a responsibility as believers today to voice truth. The world's going the wrong direction. I don't think anybody in the room would, would, would argue that. We wouldn't even have to debate that. We are very confident of that. And yet it seems to me that as believers we're more silent than ever in our culture and in the public domain. By remaining silent, believers are unwittingly condoning the erroneous teachings of public education the faulty philosophies of marriage and family being permeated by malicious groups with radical agendas, and the removal of religious freedoms being orchestrated by our government. We're reinforcing those things. We're condoning it by being silent. We're agreeing with fools in their folly. And I'm not talking about any one specific person or group. I'm telling you, that as a whole, as we look at society, we've got to stand up to the direction that we're going. Someone has to confront. How can we stand by silent as the atheistic doctrine of evolution is taught as fact in our public school system and endorsed in our society? How do we just sit and listen to that and take it? How can we stand by silent as the anti-family agenda of the Gay and Lesbian Alliance is being shamelessly promoted and ignorantly tolerated? 
I mean, are you living in the same country I am? Because I don't hear any feedback here. I mean, honestly, you agree with all that trash? How can we stand by silent as immorality is worn as a badge by our public officials and social leaders? I'm proud of it nowadays. It's almost like it makes them normal. Oh, I've had an affair, and oh, I've done this, and oh, I've embezzled money, and oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I just admit it. I've inhaled. Are you kidding me? What is wrong with us? That we say, just like the world, okay, we're all sinners, it's okay. Hey, they're leaders of our nation. They set and determine the direction of our future. How can we stand by silent as our government continues to strip away our rights as believers to worship according to our conscience and believe and stand upon the clear principles of Scripture? Yeah, they're going to try to tell us we can't knock on doors. They're going to ultimately tell us we can't go preach on street corners. They're going to tell us we can't put certain uh, logos and signs on billboards and so forth. They've already tried to strip every verse off of every public building in Washington. They're truly trying to get it passed. They've removed our Ten Commandments off of, out of the public domain. They won't let you pray in schools or take a Bible anymore without giving you trouble. Hey, what's wrong with us? How can we stand by silent as Hollywood degrades the role of husband, father, and spiritual leader, seeking to desecrate any semblance of biblical roles? I mean, haven't you watched some of this stuff on TV lately where women are beating men up continually? When's the last time you saw a man fight a man on TV? It's always a woman beating up a guy. I mean, come on now. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not the toughest guy in the world, although you think I am. But, but I'll, I'll tell you this. I highly doubt, now again, there may be an exception in here, but I highly doubt there's a woman in this room that could take me in a fight. Now there might be. There could possibly be one or two, maybe. They'd have to get me with my back turned. But let's just be honest here today. Why, what is this mentality that's permeating our culture, this unisex movement and just the, the, the total demolishing of biblical roles? How can we stand by silent as Jesus Christ and biblical faith are being viciously attacked and intentionally and systematically removed from our public? You can't put up a manger scene at Christmas? You can't do that. What? Why? I mean, are you kidding? But yeah, what do we do? We walk through uh, Walmart and they won't even say, and, and different, different ones, not just Walmart, all the, 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 the major chains it seems these days as a whole, not all of them. Thank God there's some workers there that stand up. Thank God for them. But there are corporate policies being written that you're not even allowed to say Merry Christmas anymore because Christ is involved in Christmas. That's ridiculous. Happy Holidays. Come on. We as believers need to walk through the line and say, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Are you kidding me? Confrontation. Confronting the deceitful. But then also we need to learn at times, there's going to be times we need to confront the divider. The divider. I'm talking about those who sow discord with their words or their actions. Those who sow discord with their words or actions. You have to look far and wide in order to find something that the Lord is more adamant about than this area of discord. You really got to work at it. As a matter of fact, sowing discord is not only hated by God, but it is identified as an abomination. That's a strong word in the Bible. Take your Bible, if you would, turn over to Proverbs chapter 6.
We're not really talking about how to confront. We're talking today about who to confront. And we've talked about the fact that we need to confront um, the depraved, the disillusioned, the deceitful. And now we're looking at the divider. The divider. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Wow. He that soweth discord among brethren. Now, again, what he's talking about is brethren meaning family. Well, as you look through the New Testament and you see the church, you realize that, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. We've become part of the family of God. According to the, the book of Romans, we've been adopted into that family. We're all one big happy family today if you know Christ as your Savior. Here we are, gathered together under the house. The roof. Man, it's a wonderful place. And the Bible's talking about the fact that, that we are not to sow discord or division among us. We're to be unified. We're to be of one mind. We're to be going the same direction. Now again, that direction has to be ordered by the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So therefore, the direction of the church ought to be orchestrated and directed by Christ, and if Christ has given that direction and leadership to the pastor and we're headed in the right direction, then the people ought to follow it. If the pastor's headed in the wrong direction, totally neglecting the Lord's leadership, then yes, the people are going to have to deal with that. But if indeed Christ the head is directing the under-shepherd in the right direction, then the flock ought to get behind him. And then they shouldn't cause division among each other even. They shouldn't uh, cause strife and discontentment among each other. No discord whatsoever. God not only hates that, He calls it an abomination. Interestingly enough, that sin is so vile and so wretched and so uh, such gross sin in His mind, He calls witchcraft and sacrificing your children to idols equally an abomination. That means that they're on the same level. I would never dream of sacrificing my kids to a false idol, putting them on an altar, cutting their throat, and watching their blood drain. I would never do that, but I may just sow discord. I just might. Because if I get my feelings hurt, if things don't go my way, if people don't listen to me, then just maybe I'll have to see. Aren't there some people that agree with me? Hmm. Hmm. Wow. See, discord can be sown by words or deeds. Absalom, he was considered the best looking guy in the kingdom. I mean, he was it, man. Do you know he was so good looking? They weighed his hair. Every year they weighed his hair. He had such beautiful long locks. That's no lie. I just thought I'd let you know, out of the three men that I know with long hair in the Bible, they all end up dead. I'm just letting you know that. I'm not saying anything. I'm not implying anything. I'm just telling you a fact. Absalom's hanging in a tree by his hair. I mean, is that crazy? Dude, if he'd have cut that thing, he would never got caught. That's all I'm saying. If for any reason, he should have just said, I don't want to get caught in a tree anywhere. I don't want to get caught hanging around. So he just, you know, if he'd have done that, he'd been all right. But nonetheless. So Absalom, he's considered the best looking guy in the kingdom. He's like Fabian, you know, with his long locks. And he was, you know, I'm sure he probably had, you know, pectorals that were out there. And, you know, he just was, oh man, I mean, he was the man. Everybody thought he was something else. He was better than sliced bread. But you know what? 
even though he was the best looking guy in the kingdom, even though he was the king's son, he wasn't content being one of David's sons. He wanted David's throne. It wasn't enough. And you know, can we just be honest? Sometimes in our lives, it's never enough, is it? You know, the marriage just isn't enough. My kids just aren't good enough. My job just isn't right. I wish I made more money. The boss just isn't really a good leader like I think he should be or she should be. You know what I'm talking about. It's never good enough. Everything's always, you know, just not quite there. Absalom, that's how Absalom was. He couldn't handle it. So what's he going to do? So discord. Take your Bible, look over at 2 Samuel chapter 15. Remember that last story we talked about? We talked about Amnon had a friend, and he had a friend by the name of Jonadab. And, and of course, Jonadab gave him some bad advice, and he took that bad advice, and he ultimately tricked and deceived his sister. He does that horrible, heinous crime to his sister, and then because she's a sister and because of probably whatever other reasons, I don't know, probably, I'll be honest with you, David should have stepped up. He should have done something. David should have done something. David should have confronted him. David should have confronted him. David should have confronted him. But instead, he had his little daughter sit over here. She's never allowed to marry no more. She's stuck in a little room in the house over there. Can't wear her, her, her garments like she used to wear, that all the virgins used to wear. No, now she's defiled. She's a mess. Her life's upheaved and a wreck, all because of some man taking what wasn't his. Remember that story. We talked about that already. I want you to realize that, again, Tamar was Absalom's sister. Now, Absalom was pretty upset. Don't, don't you understand? I mean, I would have been upset. That was my sister. I'd been really mad. And Absalom didn't... Absalom, here's where Absalom made his mistake. He didn't just go buck wild, go over there and kill his brother, his half-brother. He plotted it for two years. Two years. He planned and plotted for the death of his brother Amnon. Well, that's premeditated murder. Now... He ended up doing that. He gets sent away for three years. He's basically banished. Now he comes back. David gives him a kiss on the cheek, says, Son, we're glad to have you home, but he would have nothing to do with him. Let me tell you something. David really messed up. I know Absalom's going to make some big mistakes here, but David could have probably got around this one. But he did not confront his son originally Amnon, when he should have, and then he didn't deal with Absalom when he should have. The way he should have, I should say. Notice what's going to happen here. It's pretty sad now. Absalom shows back up into the kingdom, and all of a sudden, here's what happened, Second Samuel 15, 2 through 6. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment... Then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? He said, Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there's no man deputed, uh, deputed uh, of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, oh that, oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. Can I, can, can I ask you a real simple question real quick? Based on what you know about David, his character and his life, do you think he'd do anything but what he thought was just? I'm just kind of wondering. Oh, I know he made some mistakes along the way, but then again, wasn't he human? Don't we all? But, I mean, in general, as a whole, we know that David was a man of character, and he certainly was a man that got a hold of God. Oh, he may have made some major errors in his life. He may have gone down the wrong path a few times. He may not have handled some situations like he ought to. We've all been there and still are at times. But hold on. He was a just man. And I'm going to tell you, when Absalom speaks over to these men, Hey, what tribe are you from? Oh, I'm from... <laughs> oh, really? Oh, too bad there's no one here to deal with your problem. My daddy is so busy, the king just doesn't have time for your likes. Oh, if only, if only I, if only I were king. 
I would rule. And I would judge justly. Nobody would ever say that against a pastor in a church. We know that. You know, I just thought I'd say that. But I I know that would never, ever happen. I've never thought those thoughts against any pastor I had. I'll guarantee it. You know what I mean? Hey, let's face it. If you're human, there's times you find yourself wondering. There's times we don't know all the answers. And there's times that things don't look like they're going the right direction, maybe. And we start to wonder, oh, I wonder where this is going. I don't even understand why we're doing this. And how come they did that? And we're, hey, that's fine, okay? You're welcome to have questions. But handle it a biblical way. Address the person or problem directly. Confront them. Don't just hide your head in the sand. Don't just come up with your own conclusions. Find out. And know for sure. Well, they wouldn't probably tell me the truth anyway. Wait, they wouldn't probably tell me the truth. What, you, you don't even know if they would or wouldn't. Why won't you ask at least? Well, they would never tell me the truth. Really? When's the last time they lied to you directly to your face? I mean directly to your face. When's the last time your Sunday school teacher just lied to you? Oh, yeah, we're going on an activity next Friday night at 7 o'clock. <laughs> we won't be here. We're going Saturday. They won't even know. <laughs> they won't do something like that. Are you sure that it's actually on Friday night? Yeah. For you. No, they don't do those things. I don't think it's anybody's desire or goal in this church. I don't care what position they hold or where they sit in this, the pew. Their goal is really not to deceive anyone. Their goal is really not to send anybody off course. Their goal is really not to go the wrong direction. But hold on, if we're not careful, we can do it even unwittingly at times. We've got to be so careful. And this guy, he really, really made a... I mean, he messed up. Verse 5 says, And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, praise him, basically, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. Bless you, brother. Bless you. By the way, the Antichrist will do the same thing. I, I just thought I'd mention that. I don't have time to go into it scripturally, but he'll do the same thing. Absalom is a picture of the Antichrist. Nevertheless, moving on. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom, watch this. What did Absalom do? Verse 6. Absalom, you're not reading your Bible, are you? You're just watching me, aren't you? Stole. Absalom what? Stole. Hey, what? Absalom what? Stole. Yeah, you guys, some of you aren't plugged in yet. He stole. He stole. What did he steal? The hearts of the men of Israel. Wow. You know what? That's a divider right there. That's someone that brings division. That's someone that has done an abominable act of discord. Again, God never had said that David's time was up. He'd made mistakes. Yes, he's human. Absalom was just simply disgruntled. He felt that injustice had prevailed. He, he, he even felt justified in sowing this discord because of what had transpired and taken place. There's no justice in this kingdom. My dad doesn't handle things right. He was real close to the king, you've got to understand. He had seen falls, and he did recognize character issues. And now he steps up and says, fine, I can do a better job than daddy can do. The only problem was, even if he could have done a better job than dad, it wasn't his time. God determines who rises and who falls. God determines who sits in the seat of kingship and leadership. And at that point, it wasn't for Absalom to take matters in his own hands. It wasn't right and it certainly didn't solve anything because as I said already, Absalom ends up caught in a tree dead by the hand of Joab. See, when discord is sown, it's always, it always leads to hurt. Everyone loses when discord is sown. 
And may I say, that is why we must confront the divider. We've got to confront the divider, the person wittingly or unwittingly bringing division. We've got to confront them for their own good and the good of others. See, if one of the men in the church started saying things that were that, that, that tore down leadership, started to get a to steal the kingdom. It's going to hurt them. It's going to hurt those others. Hey, you don't ever David's not going around going, "Poor pitiful me. Poor pitiful me." That's never was David's attitude. Matter of fact, David's climbing up a hill out of Jerusalem waiting for Absalom to come up behind him, and there's a man there of the household of Saul. He's throwing rocks at him. He's cussing and cursing him. And one of the mighty men, one of the mighty men says, King, let me go over and cut his head off. How dare he do that to you? David says, no. Maybe God would have him do that. And then again, maybe just God will look on me now because of his cursing and have mercy on me. Let him curse on and maybe God will be merciful to me. You know what? In the end, you know who David was really most concerned about in this whole mess? His son, Absalom. I I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I'm going to tell you something. When you start confronting people, I don't care at what level, I don't care if it's a wife, I don't care if it's a husband, children, whether it's an employee or whether it's an employer, whether it's a a Sunday school uh, member, whether it's a teacher, whether it's, I don't care, pastor, whatever. You're going to confront some situation, you better make sure of one thing. That your real desire and your real goal is to benefit them. That's the main one. We won't have time to get into it. We'll talk about it next week. But it's so important. We need to close. But who, who are we to confront? The depraved, the disillusioned, the deceitful. And the divider. Well, we got to confront it. If we don't, we got problems. As a matter of fact, let me let me read something to you. I thought was rather interesting. Don Shula, the coach of the Miami Dolphins, he was talking to a reporter about a player's mistake in practice. He said, "We never let an error go unchallenged." Uncorrected errors multiply. Then the reporter said, isn't there benefit in overlooking one small flaw? You've got to remember, Shula was the coach of the Miami Dolphins in 1972 when they went on to win the Super Bowl and had a perfect season. The greatest NFL football team by record ever. Isn't there benefit in overlooking one small flaw? Shula said, what is a small flaw? I think about that all day long. What is a small flaw? I see that with my children. I've let a lot of things slide by because I was too tired. Guilty. I didn't want another confrontation. Guilty. But uncorrected errors do multiply, he goes on to say. You've got to face them someday. You might as well face them on the spot. If I could do it over again with my children, I'd face the errors on the spot. It's easier on them and on you. That works in relationships with anyone. If there's something under the surface, something you sense, you might as well just bring it right out. Face it right then. Success lies in the details. Every job is a self-portrait of the person who did it. Autograph your work with excellence, he says. Hey, that's good advice to Christians today. When we sense, we sense there's division being sowed. 
discord being sown, we need to address it. When we, we feel or have that sense of deceitfulness going on, we need to address that issue somehow, some way. Disillusion or depraved, it doesn't matter, but we must be confrontational at times if we want to preserve our integrity, we want to preserve our faith, we want to preserve the future of the body of Christ, to preserve our nation, we must be willing to stand and say, enough's enough sometimes. Or I have to at least deal with this. Why? Because I don't want to see someone else hurt. Not about me, but about the other. Father, we come to you. We ask you, Lord, to speak to our hearts, Lord, to just continue to work. Help us as Christians to be bold enough to stand in our culture, our society, in our world, even in our homes and in our lives and with our families and friends. Lord, it's not about being repulsive. It's not about being nasty. It's not about, Father, trying to prove to everybody that we're right and everyone else is wrong. That has nothing at all to do with this. Lord, but we do want to be true to your word and we want to be true to our conscience and we certainly want to be honest with our own selves. And Lord, help us, Father. Now, Lord, you know your Holy Spirit confronts us in our area of sin. You said that he would come and that he would convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And today, Lord, there may be those in the crowd who have never dealt with their sin. Oh, Lord, if I said, are you a sinner, they would be clear to say and quick to say, yes, indeed. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them of their sin and help them to see the need to let Jesus Christ, your Son, wash them clean and give them a home in heaven. Lord, you also said of righteousness, your righteousness. As believers, Lord, we're to be holy. Lord, maybe there's a believer in the crowd whose heart has wandered far from you. They've allowed sin to creep into their life and to their daily living. Lord, may you help them to see the need to confess that as sin, repent of it and forsake it, even today. Holy Spirit, confront us. We desperately need you. The psalmist said, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, help us now, Lord, to search our hearts. Search them. Reveal our need. And help us, Lord, to either be saved today or to be more sanctified and consecrated than ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all